This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 46. This is Writing Excuses. How do I make this prettier? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that pretty. I'm Brandon. <laughs> I'm Mary. I'm that pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Dan. <laughs> Once again, we are on the Writing Excuses cruise! And we have spoken about how to go about kind of the large-scale revision process, how to fix the big problems. Um, But equally important is making the pros better. Um, In fact, this is one of the things I needed to practice a lot as a new writer, and I still feel like I need to practice. Um, How to make your line-by-line better, your paragraph-by-paragraph better. How do you make this a story that people enjoy reading page-by-page? So let's talk revision strategies. First off, what are you guys looking to cut during this process? So one of the things that I, I look for is as I'm going through, I, I pay attention to where my, uh, my readers have said that they're bored mm. uh, because that is a signal that I am, I'm rambling, right? Uh, that things are taking too long. And a lot of times it's not that I need to cut information, it's just that I need to present it faster. You know, one thing that I do a lot and I notice my students do a lot is the tell then show. Yep. Very common with a writer, new writer to be like, she felt this way, and then showing how she felt, as if they don't quite trust, and I do this myself, as if I don't quite trust my writing, or if I didn't understand what the emotional state was, so I was talking my way through it, and then the good writing comes in, and I go into the kind of shows and all these important things, and you repeat concepts quite a bit in the same way. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I look for is uh, redundancies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. like you say, I will often just repeat myself over and over again. I'll say the same thing again and again. And again. In slightly and, different ways, you will say stuff that you've just said before. Yes, and then I might say it again oh, using some on. different editing, <laughs> editing for pacing, then. Often, oh, my goodness. Howard, uh, you are a master of this. Um, well, and thank you. Uh, part of that, part of any mastery I may or may, have not, may or may not have achieved comes from editing things for humor, mm-hmm. in which... I know, because of what I'm writing, I, I, I know what the objective of this short snippet is. I know I'm trying to make somebody laugh, and I'm trying to make a, make a particular point. Um, once you know the objective of a particular block of prose, you can start fine-tuning the prose to maximize your delivery of that. Okay. I have a number of strategies there. One of them, I, I think I may have mentioned on air recently, is find the funniest word <laughs> and put it as late as possible, because that's part of the delivery of the punchline. Another, and this one I, I've applied to prose time and again, is try turning it upside down. I will take a paragraph which uh, may be very much like the ones you've described, where uh, you will state a thing and then you will give supporting evidence for the thing Mm -hmm. in the paragraph. I'll just turn it upside down by taking that first line and putting it last, not change anything else. And what I find is the statement of evidence leads the reader to the point that the statement of the thing at the end is actually kind of punchy and delivers a conclusion and drives the story home a little faster. And that's... that. 
That happens without actually pruning any words. Once I've done that, I can dive in and say, oh, and these words are unnecessary because now the paragraph goes one, two, three, boom, and says what needed to be said. One thing that I'll do with my students is that I'll, I'll have them, in the process of doing that, I'll have them go through and identify what the specific concepts are that they're trying to get across mm-hmm. in that section of, of prose that is, is going on too long. And then I, and this is an exercise, you should not do this with all, every piece of writing ever because you can totally kill text this way. But, um, but I'll have them, as an exercise, go through and write uh, one sentence per concept. That's all they're allowed. So if they have a big chunk of prose that is trying to get across the fact that she's depressed, but they're in fact using three paragraphs to do that, you cut it down to one, a lot of times, sometimes that's cutting it back too far, but Mm. sometimes you find that just that one line, that, that if you can make that a very significant line, that it carries more weight than something that's really, really long because you, you, it loses tension a lot of times. When I, start getting into the wordsmithing stage of revision like this and maybe this is my uh, marketing background when I was working in advertising and things like that I pay very close attention to parallelism in word choice uh, because there are sometimes and I fight with copy editors a lot over this there are sometimes in fact most times when you don't want to overuse a specific word mm-hmm. and so it's it's easy to go through and read a page and go, oh, I just used the word envelope like 87 times in three pages. Um, But sometimes you do, even for a specific effect, you want that because it's powerful if you can hit that over and over again. And if you look at great speech writers, they will use this as a tactic to kind of, it's called parallelism, to use the same word or phrase for impact, to reuse it. And so copy editors don't always like that because that's something they look out for specifically, but sometimes you want to do wait, it. Wait, wait, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta ask. You said your background in marketing, and what were you marketing for? <laughs> uh, shampoo. Oh, okay. I thought I, the scrapbooking company was what I was I did, I did work for a couple of years at a scrapbooking company. So yep. if anyone needs to talk about rubber stamps... I got your back. Um, I wanted to mention one other thing, though. You mentioned this parallelism when it's bad. I wanted to point out why that's bad. And this is actually a larger rule of what you're looking to wordsmith here is any time the prose calls attention to itself in a way you didn't want. There are certain types of writing and certain people who want that. Like the parallelism you're doing that you like, it's like, oh... I'm, if it's okay if the reader stops mm-hmm. and pays attention to that. But if something pulls them out of the narrative unintentionally, that's bad. And th- everyone listening to this and every writer in this room will start overusing words. It's a natural effect of, um, or effect of writing a lot and coming to understand your style. And this becomes a problem only when the readers start to notice it. And they're like, wait a minute, you can't. Most people don't use the word maladroitly four times in a book, you know? Yeah. Um, and then readers come to me like, you really like the word maladroitly. And I'm like, I do. Um, but I do. It's a word that I started using because it fulfills a, it's well, a tool. It's concatenate. Yeah, it's, I love the word concatenate. Yeah. It, it's a very specific, actually, uh, neurological phenomenon. Like mm. if somebody teaches you the name of a specific model of car, you will start seeing that car everywhere. Right, right. And as soon as you learn a new word that fits a situation your brain will start finding situations to use it. 
And so you need to watch out for that. A case where you will want to use parallelism on purpose would be mostly in dialogue or first-person narration where you're trying to drive home a specific point or call attention to a specific idea. Yeah, I, I say that the two things are uh, when you're when you're trying for emphasis or to remove ambiguity, that that's mm. when you want to yep. mm-hmm. reuse things. And let me just give an example of, uh, of this in... Um, this parallelism in, in really good writing, uh, which is Ray Bradbury's The Fruit at the Bottom of the Bowl. Oh, yeah. And I use this, uh, I use this when I'm teaching people to read aloud, and there's this one line in it. Um, uh, he, he looked at his hand, and he looked at... Oh, wait. He looked at the room, he looked at his hand, and he looked at the man lying on the floor. And he repeats that, that structure each time, but each time it gets a little more significant. And that repetition drives home the fact that this is a guy who's in shock because, you know, it, he, he's just killed somebody. Um, so, so that's a place where the, the emphasis mm-hmm. is there. It should also be noted in that example that there is a similarity between the word hand and the word man mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that phonetically helps this along. Uh, if I were to write an essay about parallelism, at some point, I would use the word parallelism and the word paragraph in close enough proximity that they reinforce each other because there is a similar sound. And if I can support that with other things that that complement or that offset, uh, it becomes more effective. Yeah. That's really, really deep drilling, <laughs> and you you can't afford to do this for every paragraph. So, since we're talking specifically about uh, kind of wordsmithing and revision, the other it occurs to me the other instance where I will use this kind of parallel structure is if I'm trying to give extra weight to a reveal. Mm. then uh, I find sometimes it can be valuable to repeat a certain structure two or three times and then break it at the end, which adds extra oomph to it. I do think we need to move on from the cutting aspect Mm -hmm. and start talking about the adding aspect. When you're doing a revision here, what do you add on the line by line? So again, when I'm looking at my reader reactions, um, I, I train my readers to tell me four basic reactions. Uh, something is awesome, so I don't accidentally cut it. Mm. Uh, something is boring, which we've already talked about. Uh, something is confusing, and uh, something is, that they didn't believe. And I find that with confusing and didn't believe, that those are usually where I need to go back in and add information. Right. Uh, with didn't be- with with confusing it's that my order of information is probably wrong i haven't given them enough details about place and setting and uh, and physical things with didn't believe it usually relates to the character's internal state and Their i need motives. to yeah. yes mm-hmm. and i need to go back in and make sure that i add in some internal motivation right. uh, which is also sometimes called um, free and direct speech which is the thing where you I mean, you can look that term up, but but it's the thing where you report someone's thought as if it's part of the narration instead yeah. of breaking it into italics. You know, I um, when I'm adding, the number one thing I have to do is make the blocking clearer. Yep. Um, particularly in fight scenes. Um, when I'm writing my first drafts, I'm usually all over the place in those fight scenes. And it's very common that all the readers are like, this was really exciting, but I don't didn't know where anyone was. Um, and... 
that's very normal because we're trying to get down like the tone almost in the first draft rather than the point by point because we don't even know what of the point by point we're going to end up keeping as we do revisions. It's also important to remember as you're adding text that uh, adverbs are a compression algorithm that is inherently lossy. Hmm. When you say <laughs> angrily, you are describing angry behavior and sometimes, if you really want to show the angry behavior, you rip that word out and you add lines that show what this person did across their three steps, their three steps as mm. they walked angrily. What defined that? You mm -hmm. know, surreptitiously, sneakily. Wait, these are the kinds of words that are compressing a very complex description into one word. And as compression algorithms go, it's lossy. You lose a whole bunch of information that you may need to include to bring the reader along. But just a reminder that there's sometimes that you do need to compress, so it's not yeah. that you're yep. never allowed yes. to use these. Exactly. Yeah, people like to make absolutes, and adverbs is one of them. Find your style, find what works for your readers and the stories you're trying to tell, and then get better at that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I will find that I need to add is, um, particularly in, in intense scenes, um, so it'll go back in and add sensory detail. Mm. And I, oh, good point. Very good point. Um, and I do this for two reasons. One is that sensory details obviously make things more vivid. Uh, sometimes I find that I have overused one sense, that the sense I'm a visually oriented person, so I frequently have used a lot of sight and not had any sound or texture or smell um, in, in the scene. And so I'll go back in and, and try to make sure that I'm working those in. In fact, the, the, the exercise Nalo gave about mm -hmm. yeah. highlighting is a really good way to spot when you're overusing a sense or not using or underusing a sense. Yeah, I, I have my characters frequently just go lick everything. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do make that sure. all yeah. the time. It's really important. Yeah. The taste of the wall, if yeah. you're leaving mm -hmm. that out of your story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing about sensory details is that this can control pacing. So if someone says, I feel like something happened really fast, and it's something that you actually want to, you, you want to get deeper into it, a lot of times adding in some sensory details. Um, if you go back to my first appearance on Writing Excuses, where I talk about the, the, um, the principles of puppetry and the idea of focus and breath, how long someone lings lingers on something is how long they are... You know, is how much attention they're giving to it. And so giving more attention to yep. a specific aspect in, in terms of description and sensory details can give more importance and weight to something. You know, in write, student writing, I write a lot about you're not following the character's attention. You're writing the wrong thing. The character notices mm -hmm. something. But you don't have to tell us what it is they noticed for three sentences or whatnot. And this is, this is a very good point. I would point people out. We've done podcasts on description. Uh, go back and listen to those. Um, and also, um, wherever I talk about the pyramid of abstraction, I do it in my writing lectures, a good place to look if you're having trouble with this. Dan, it looked like you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, based on what Mary was saying, one of the things that I have done with all of the John Cleaver books is to go back through any time he is describing another person's emotions part of the revision pass is to put in physical cues hmm. because he can't tell what you're feeling. He can right. only guess based on what your face looks like. And that adds a really cool bit of sociopathic distance between him and the reader. And so I always put that in. But really, any book that I'm writing, there's always one or two things 
that I will pick for that book and say, okay, I'm going to go and look for all of this. In the new cyberpunk series, it was clothing. I will go back through and make sure anytime anybody appears in a scene, I will describe their clothing. And I noticed that, actually, and really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Let's stop for our book of the week. Um, we are going to promo the book Swords Point. Swords Point by Ellen Kushner is one of my favorite books. Um, and, and the audiobook of it is fantastic because it's multiple narrators. So you've got Ellen Kushner, Dion Graham, Simon Jones, Catherine Kelgren, who's a fantastic narrator. Uh, Robert Farce, Nick Sullivan, all of these people come together to create this fantastic world. It feels real. It feels absolutely real. And it's a great story about, I mean, I can say that Swords Point is a coming of age, and that's totally underselling it. It's about an older swordsman teaching a younger one. And, and just the, the thing that I love about Ellen's work is her attention to sensory details and the, the fabric of the society. So if you're looking at a way to make a, a world feel absolutely real, this book is it's just phenomenal. Well, if you want to pick up a copy of Swords Point, you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, uh, start a 30-day free trial, get a copy of the book for free, um, listen to it. Ellen is one of our favorite people. She's here on the cruise with us, and she's been a fantastic teacher, and she's an excellent writer. Um, we don't have a lot of time left in this podcast, but I want to talk about one more topic. We've talked about what you cut and what you add. What do you change? We've touched on a little bit in the other ones, but it tweaks you make. And to kind of give you an example, I'll, I'll start off first. Um, I change my paragraphing a lot during revision. This is where I'm looking to use my paragraphing to set the tone. We're using the longer paragraphs for more contemplative scenes. We're chopping them up and going shorter. We're trying to point at those single-line paragraphs um, and build to them and things like this. And I do a lot of a rearranging of the size of paragraphs as I'm doing my revisions. Yeah, I do that as well. And just to give you a tool to think about how to do that, as, a, as an audiobook narrator, typically speaking, we, we say, you know, you, you pause for a count of one when there's a comma, pause for a count of two when there's a period, and you pause for a count of three when there's a paragraph. What this is actually doing, and this is a mechanical thing, you don't actually do that when you're narrating, but it's a training thing. But what it's doing is it's mimicking the way we tend to group thoughts together when we're naturally speaking. So the paragraph breaks, what they do is those, those bigger pauses cause you to, to linger on that. It puts more emphasis on it. You don't want to do too many of them, those single-line sentences, because then you have someone mm-hmm. who talks with great pauses so you have after William every Shatner. sentence. You have Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so you, want to, you want to look at those, as Brandon says, as ways to control your pacing and emphasis. Mm-hmm. But you also, any tool, you can overuse it. Um, the other thing that I do is I have a list of ticks that I tend to overuse in my own writing. My characters tend to express themselves a lot with breathing mm. and looking. Yeah, I do that a lot, too. Mine raise their eyebrows all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I drill down on the, uh, <laughs> the, the $5 words, uh. and if I see the same one twice, then I need to make change. Mm. Um, literally carve it apart and mm-hmm. use, use use less five expensive words. words. Exactly. You know, I try to take words that are not as 
uh, concrete and replace them with ones that are, yep. as long as I don't have to add more words. Um, if I have to add more words, it depends on the scene. But anytime I can just take out, Harriet did this to my writing a lot when I was working on the Wheel of Time. She'd take out the word wood and say, what kind of wood? Because it, you know, mahogany and cedar and pine all give a slightly different image, and so why not use the more specific word? Yeah. yeah. I also look for um, what Nancy Cress calls negative information, mm-hmm. uh, and this is where I say things like, he said nothing. Well, that's obvious because I haven't given him a line of dialogue. What is he doing while he's not saying anything? Uh, you know, he, mm-hmm. she, she stood completely still. Okay, great. Or actually, she didn't move. Okay, well, that's negative. What is she doing while she's not moving? Um, he looked away. What is he looking at? So I try to find negative information and, and give a positive instead. Now, both Brandon and Mary said that they uh, work on changing you know, paragraph length, and, and I know a lot of writers will change where the chapter breaks are to yep. control pacing. And I think it's worth pointing out that I don't think I have ever done that. Huh. Ever. Um, with chapters or paragraphs, but I do change s- punctuation constantly. Um, I, <laughs> in fact, uh, Brandon, do you remember the nickname you gave me in our college writing group? Yes, you were the egregious colon. The egregious colon. <laughs> and this is because I love punctuation and I love long sentences, and so I will always go back and more or less use exactly the same words, but you know, put the semicolon in a different place and and turn one long sentence into three. And uh, shake it up that way. Ibuprofen gives me an egregious colon. (laughs) 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 All right. We are out of time for this. Oh, Mary, I'll I'll, go ahead. Okay, this is is one Uh last trick that I do, uh, which is a stupid one, but it's really, really useful. Um, I write in Times New Roman, and when I am in the the final pass editing lines, I uh, change it to Courier because it forces me to see the text differently. Hmm. It causes things to line up differently. It makes it, there's, it's this weird thing that your brain does. Um, so, and, the, and one of the other reasons I changed to Courier is because I've learned that copy editors are paid by the page, and the page rate is based on when everything was required to be turned in in Courier. And there are fewer words on a page, so when I turn it in in Times New Roman, my copy editor is not paid as much. Hmm. Well, all right. So we should all change to Courier. <laughs> well, I write in Courier, so. As um, do I. We, we are out of time, but uh, I want to give you a bit of homework here. This is actually my exercise um, that started with my editor teaching me to do it on my very first book, which was to cut 10% line by line. This is after you've already cut the scenes you don't need and even the paragraphs you don't need. And he said, then go and take a page, find out how many words are on that page, and cut exactly 10% of those words and do it for every page in your book. I don't usually do this, like, now um, in the same way like then I got out a spreadsheet and I just did it I did it chapter by chapter rather than page by page Um, but it was so useful to me that I did it on my first three or four books exactly 10% Um, and now I've got by instinct that I'll look through a revision and I'll have cut 7 or 8% just naturally doing a polish so I want you to do that on one of your pieces force yourself to cut 10% I'll add the caveat that there are the rare writers who don't add too much in their initial draft and need to add uh, a lot of short story writers. Eric James Stone is this way. He actually is too sparse, and trimming 10% actually makes his writing worse. He needs to go add 10%. Um, but give this a try and see if it works out for you. This has been Writing Excuses. Thank you, Writing Excuses Cruise members. Woo!
You are out of excuses. Now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 